Hey, this is Tommy Wiseau. You might know me from the room. You're listening to Playback at Variety. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah, he was good. So, Governor's Awards, that was good for you? Uh, yeah, that was my first one. It was good, yeah. Donald had good speeches, or good speech. Yeah. Um, so you thought, and you thought Dustin Hoffman was, what, dry? Oh, not dry. Just, well, I mean, bad word if you think it, it means negative. Just, you know, Dustin. He's been around. He's real thoughtful. Takes time before he answers. Huh. Some of his jokes can be kind of, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, like he, he uh, <laughs> in this funny stuff, it's like, can you believe that the graduate is 50 years old? He's like, well, yeah, it, it, I can't believe it because I'm 47. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but he, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. All right. We've got James Franco on the show today. Hey. You know him from every film ever made. The guy doesn't stop. We'll I have that. stopped. I have stopped. <laughs> have you finally started to slow down a little bit? I, I only worked uh, as an actor for two weeks this whole year on a Coen Brothers podcast. I just read that in our cover story, yeah. which is right here. Very good cover story. <laughs> Thank you very much, Variety. My first question is those <laughs> shoes, man. The boots are great. Uh, well. I want a pair. What you should know, because uh, you work variety, is that when we do these shoots, uh, they bring <laughs> the clothes, clothes okay. because they're not my clothes. <laughs> and in fact, those boots got paint. The, that that backdrop was all wet, so you can see oh, the so paint you ruined on them. those shoes. Yeah, so you can have them. Got it. I'll, I'll search them out. Maybe they're in a closet somewhere around here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, and actually, I'd asked some people about this. I was like, is is uh, was Tommy Wiseau ever part of the ask? Because Tommy on the cover of Variety would be amazing. Tommy on the cover of anything, Tommy involved kind of in anything <laughs> of any serious nature is pretty amazing. It's just <laughs> <laughs> the fact, it's just Tommy, at, we had our premiere at the Chinese Theater. Uh-huh. He was there, obviously. Uh, Tommy has a photo with Chris Jenner. So Tommy just, Next to anything is just <laughs> awesome, um, but it's even it's it's also kind of heartwarming, uh, which I think you know is the, sort of the tone of our movie of you know this when I say awesome Tommy Tommy anywhere is awesome it's sort of like in I an ironic way but it's also very heartwarming because. You know, Tommy's persona now, the persona he's taken on is, you know, this sort of weirdo. He, he he sort of is the Tommy that he thinks everybody wants him to be and the Tommy that takes credit for making the room a comedy. Yeah. When in fact, underneath, he wanted to be taken seriously so badly, you know, and that he had kept the room. He, he, he distributed the room, so it's all on his own dime. He kept it in theaters for two weeks to qualify for the Academy Awards. Yeah, and actually, let me let me set it up here. The movie's yeah, the, yeah, the disaster artist. James both directed and stars in it. Stars as Tommy Wiseau, who directed this film. If everybody hasn't seen it, called The Room. 
uh, for the last like decade or so, it's been like a midnight staple with uh, for the heckling masses, if you yeah. will. And uh, I was going to ask you actually what your first experience with that movie was. Yeah, <clears throat> I uh, I really came late to the game, and uh, me too. Actually, yeah. I mean, were you in L? I mean, you were in L.A. Did you see the billboard? Uh, I wasn't here yet. I got here the next year. Actually, I moved here in two thousand five. It was still up, I right? think. Was I think it? he okay. kept it up for a number of years. I can't remember. I was. Oh, under- yeah, that, that's right. He did. I never saw it, but yeah, I knew that. It was on Highland. Yeah. The movie came out in 2003. I was told he kept it up for five years. I mean, I remember seeing it. I must have passed it a hundred years, a hundred times. Yeah. That's already hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> I know. It's going to like, how much does that cost? You know, just for the billboard. Um, wow. And then he spent reportedly $6 million on the movie. And... Uh, it looks about, you know, like it was made for $6. <laughs> and um, that was my only, that was my only sort of contact with the room is that billboard. I mean, it just didn't penetrate my consciousness. I saw, I mean, I I saw it. I saw his face glaring down at me with the lazy eyelid and the <laughs> phone number was, you know, it said the room and there was a phone number <laughs> and it just threw you. It didn't look like a normal movie poster and, and what movie billboard ever had a phone number you mm-hmm. know and uh i mean i remember I, I i was recently talking to uh gary oldman at your um one of your actors on actress thing mm-hmm. and and, I, and he's like yeah, you've intrigued me with this this your movie and this movie <laughs> the, the room and i'm like yeah yeah did you ever see the billboard he's like what do you mean and i started describing it and you see the, i saw the light bulb go off in his head he's like oh <laughs> That bloody thing, I, that's what your movie is, like that thing. And it was just something you drove by and you you just were like, you know, thought it was like a, just some L.A. weirdness, you yeah, know, yeah. like Angeline, who's like this woman that used right, to drive yeah. around in a pink Corvette and she had her billboards and, you know, it was just sort of like. Maybe I was, saw it and it was just such a part of the fabric of the town. Yeah, it was like either this is it. a cult <laughs> or you call this number and you can get this vampire in your movie or something like that, you know? And uh, He's got a room you can shoot in. Yeah. <laughs> the room. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, what I didn't know is that there were, you know, some of my friends, I mean, I wasn't as close with Jonah back then, Jonah Hill, but he and Paul Rudd and, and Michael Sarah, and, you know, there was a real hardcore early group that would go to the sunset five and watch, mm-hmm. watch this thing. It was, you know, um, it took about six years. And then in about 2009, um, EW and CNN and Harper's, you know, they all did pieces on it and I think it exploded from there. And it started playing in almost every major city in the country and is huge in London. I think it plays in Paris and Tokyo. I still didn't see it. And uh, and then I'm the only I'm probably the only dude that came to the room through a book, and the book came out that was written by the other actor Nick Greg Sestero and this great journalist Tom Bissell. Called and the book's called The Disaster Artist. I and I I read it and it was incredible. You know, I, I didn't realize that you had not seen the film before you you got across, no. Across I mean the book it's. I, before I was, you know, a third of the way done with the book, I, I got the DVD because you can't stream it. Like, I watched the clips on YouTube that are available, but that you can't stream the whole thing. Yeah. Got the DVD, watched it with friends. It was everything I, I want, you know, could hope 
that it would be. And the descriptions in the book just, it was such an incredible story. It was almost maybe even better to come to it that way yeah. from the book because you underst- understood how much heart was behind it, how hard these dudes tried. That's interesting that you're not coming from a place of irony of you know like because i've never really been into the to the phenomenon because i've never been able to get there on like a community essentially kind of dedicated to like laughing at this guy right yeah so and you know he turned it to his own advantage ultimately but it was just something i was never able to to that's interesting because you're you're a nice guy (laughs) you just don't like laughing at somebody well it just felt weird it was like (laughs) but you know i that led me to wonder, like it's a, it's a it's an interesting tone, though. You have you been to a theatrical screening of the room? That's the thing. No, I saw it with like some friends at a house or something. Right, and they were being pretty harsh and like just how mm-hmm. look how bad this is. Like it is that for sure. People are laughing at it, mm-hmm. but there's there's also kind of a a weird celebratory thing in the in the theatrical screenings of it. Like, uh, almost. And and when Tommy's there too, it's like they people cheer him on. Mm-hmm. They're excited to see him. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh no, the douchebags here. It's like they are genuinely excited to, that he's there, and he you know feeds off that. He has crafted this new persona, you know, out of that, and 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 taking credit for it being a comedy when I don't think he intended it to be that. But it's not it's not necessarily a cruel atmosphere, although. <laughs> there are different gradations. Like I saw, so I was in I was in Vancouver when I saw it the first time. I was shooting the interview with Seth Rogen, uh-huh. and um, I went. My first screening was there, and I have to say I've been to many room screenings since then. And the the Vancouver screening was was incredible. It was the best one I'd ever been to, mm-hmm. and um, they had more spoons, more footballs. They had better sort of response lines. They. Uh, uh, it was just a. It was a great energy. It was mm-hmm. almost a celebration. Now, yes, I understand it's sort of ironic, but there's something. There is a community there. There is something positive about the people coming together, and it's yeah. not just. It's not just cruelty. Do you think they're responding to whatever the underlying sincerity is that he has about his passion and wanting yes. to make it and everything? You think yes. that's what's going on? Uh, All good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <big else. laughs> we can include that soy, a little bit of soy business. We can totally I cut. prefer almond milk, but I have a soy latte here. Um, <laughs> so uh, 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 I, I truly think, yes, to your question, I truly think the secret sauce of the room is Tommy's earnestness and huh. his passion and the fact that this is an incredibly personal film to him. Whatever he says now and however he's rewritten the, the, the history, this is Tommy's heart and soul out for everyone to see on the screen. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the things you find in the book, you know what, you just you just actually made me realize I, I probably have a better relationship to this whole thing because I did start with the book and yeah. I did know these things. Before Tommy made the room... And we touch on this a tiny bit that, you know, in our movie, Tommy does hit a kind of bottom. He's heard just, he's just been completely rejected by Hollywood. Nobody thinks he'll make it. Everybody just t- tells him to go away, basically. 
But in in reality, and what's told in the book is that it went even it went even deeper. Like he was possibly suicidal, and would leave messages on Greg Sestero's uh, machine, um, saying like, "You know, I don't want to live anymore, but I believe in God." Like really sad things. But mm-hmm. then. The next thing Greg knew, Tommy showed up with this script. And if you know the room, spoiler alert, you know, (laughs) the character, Johnny commits suicide, Tommy's character commits suicide at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Johnny is, I think, how Tommy wants everyone to see him. He's this great guy, all-American guy. (laughs) He's, you know, takes, he's, he's, successful takes care of his girlfriend he has a best friend and he <laughs> he's got this like little ward you know that this guy denny uh who's supposed to be a teenager played by like a guy in his late 20s but he <laughs> sort of like takes him under his wing and mm-hmm. helps him get away from the the drug life and you know kind of um and and then commits suicide at the end when his girlfriend and his best friend betray him by having an affair and um and if you look at that and think of it's like Tommy is doing what any sort of legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate artist is doing. He's channeling his pain mm-hmm. into his work. Mm-hmm. And in that light, it's sort of like the room is very, t- I mean, I get really touched and choked up to, uh, about it almost like thinking about that and um well again i mean you hear any artist like eddie vetter is like if i didn't have music i'd be dead you know yeah it's like if tommy didn't have the room if he hadn't made the room he might be dead yeah and uh and so having come to the story through the book and knowing the backstory i think maybe the room is very a very deep kind of experience for me yeah i makes sense i Provides for empathy more than yeah. just showing up to a screening and being like, "Ah, this movie's bad." <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think people, I think people also. I know it, I'll I'll say this for myself. Like, I all throughout my life had have had such a fear of failure. Like, one of the things that I always loved movies from a young age. One of the things that kept me from getting into acting until I was like seventeen or eighteen was just fear, fear of failure. And I think what people see in the room also is somebody swinging so hard. Yeah, yeah. They know he's trying mm-hmm. so hard, both as a director and writer and, and actor. And failing miserably, at least failing at what he intended. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about that that is a little soothing for people. Inspiring, maybe. It's both yeah. inspiring and... Maybe, you know, makes us feel a little better. Like, yeah. it's almost like, um, I think it was, not to get too deep or whatever, pretentious, <laughs> but I think it was Bergson who talked about slipping on a banana peel and why that's funny. And he's like this philosopher, like breaking down comedy. Right, right. But I think there's some truth to it. Like, that we laugh at somebody stepping on a banana peel and falling on their ass because it's not us. Right. And I think there's something to that here that, oh, man, Tommy is failing I think it was, what was it? It was like uh, comedy is you slipping on a banana peel. Tragedy is me slipping on a banana peel. I've heard, oh, I've heard that one there before. There you go. You've added to it. <laughs> I've heard that one before. But, yeah, I hear you. When you, when you met him finally, did, was there anything about Tommy that, like, caught you 
by surprise, even having read the book? Um, Tommy is an amazing sort of endless mystery. His saga continues to <laughs> just flip upon itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in fact, what was surprising about Tommy when I met him is that he was incredibly sweet and almost shy um, and not like anything like the Tommy that I had read about in the book. Mm. The Tommy in the book is very willful. He has, and you can understand it, like he has faced no his entire life, especially because he's a guy that looks like he does. You know, he's got long hair that looks like it's dyed with magic marker. Uh, he looks older, like an older man, but he claims he's in his 20s and he's sound like this, you know, like from <laughs> Eastern Europe, but he's say from New Orleans, right? And so like, a guy that's going around like that saying, I'm an all-American guy and I, you know, I should be up for, you know, the James Dean parts. Like, <laughs> he's going to face no a lot, you yeah. know. But he learned from all that rejection that the, you know, only way to get anywhere is to depend on himself and, and maybe, you know, his friend Greg. Yeah. And so then he got his movie made. I, I, I totally respect him for that. He got it made. How many people try to get in the movie business and don't even do that? But when he was finally on set making his movie, he didn't know to shut off that complete self-reliance. And he didn't know to listen to people that were more experienced. And so he just kept that sort of... He became kind of a tyrant on set and mm-hmm. just like made every insane decision that you could make. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's what I thought, Tom. That's the Tommy I thought I was going to meet. But in fact, what happened is, you know, what what should normally happen in a sort of artistic trajectory is you go do something and maybe you make mistakes and then the movie doesn't turn out like you intended. And then you learn from those mistakes and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I won't do that. Or A worked, B didn't. And I'll do it differently when I when I do my next project. Tommy's movie didn't turn out like he wanted. So nor you know, but instead of having that moment of, oh, this is a failure, it didn't work out like I intended, it then took off as a comedic hit. Mm-hmm. And so Tommy never had that moment of, I guess, you know, hitting bottom or whatever, learning from the quote-unquote mistakes. And he instead took on this persona of, you know, the Tommy that every he thinks everybody wants him to be. Mm-hmm. And so then, and, and Greg, is the person that knows him the, the most, has talked about this a lot, that now Tommy can never make another room because he was, when he made the room, he was coming at it from a completely earnest place. Mm-hmm. Now he's trying to be funny. So all the projects he does after this, He's, he's coming at it from a completely different place, and it doesn't have, in my opinion, the same kind of soul yeah. that his other projects do. But on the other hand, um, he um, he kind of got some of what he wanted. He was, I think, a very lonely guy before he made The Room. Now he's got a community. Mm-hmm. He can go anywhere in the world, or almost anywhere, and show his movie. He shows up. And people are excited to see him. Yeah. And and it's not just making fun of him. They are truly, there's something, he brings joy to people. 
Totally. I mean, you probably wouldn't show up in masses just to make fun of a guy. I mean, right. yeah. You, right. Um, the the voice, the accent, you know, it's it's. I've seen you slip into it in interviews just to kind of make a point, like you have been here, or like it's, I, when I you're with him, it's, it's it happens. <laughs> it seems like it would be really fun. Like there's just this lazy like. With, when I do it with him, I can't. I cannot help but do it. It's sort of like that. You just want to do Tommyisms, you know, around him all the time, and he does too. Like you can see how, like he will just. I I, I spent a lot of time with him at at TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, and and he will just quote his film apropos of nothing. You'll just be driving around in the car, and people are talking about, you know, oh, I went and saw Killing of a Sacred Deer or whatever, and he's like, ah, love is blind. <laughs> okay. And then we're like... Don't forget about the room. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah maybe, maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I've... Uh, we jumped around here. Where am I now? Oh, you've got a number of directorial efforts on the way still. I mean, I think stuff you've already maybe even finished. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to talk about them? I mean, well, look, I'm not going to talk about them specifically, but uh, you know, and maybe you get tired of talking about how prolific you are in general. I mean, it's certainly brought up a lot. No, I can talk about it a little bit. Like, so, um, like I was talking about before, I don't know if it was on the air, but um, I only did, I only worked as an actor two weeks this year. Yeah, on this Coen Brothers project called um, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And before that, up until like last November, I did a lot and uh, a lot. I directed a lot. I acted a lot. I I wrote. I I did some art projects. And um, at the time, you know, I've been looking back on that a lot. Like, why was I doing that? <laughs> and a, you know, I was generally just doing things that I was interested in. And and I had, at some point, maybe eight or ten years ago, just flipped the switch and just said, you know what, maybe this is the only life I have. I don't want to follow, you know, any sort of tacit understanding of what a, a career looks like in this business. Instead, I will never let that keep me from doing something if I'm interested in it, and I'll just try a lot of things that I'm interested in. So that was one of the, that was one of the reasons. And that was a, I think a very genuine, um, uh, thing that I, I, I had a lot of interest and I, and I thought I'll just try them. Mm -hmm. B, I tried to take them as seriously as possible. I went to school and, um, and tried to, to not be a, you know, kind of a moonlighter, but really just apply myself to these things as, as diligently as I had acting at one point. And see, I think the good of of that thing of of that period of just like doing way too much, maybe the good thing out came out of it is I got a lot of experience. Now, not every project, or maybe a lot of the projects, didn't you know turn out? Um, they weren't like masterpieces. Like I'm 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 happy with most of them, but you know they were. You know, I went into a lot of them knowing like they wouldn't really reach a lot of audiences. Like when you're doing a Cormac McCarthy, you know, necrophilia movie, like mm -hmm. you know that you're not going to have like a huge audience. But I'm really proud of the work that I and, and everyone else did in that. Um, but um, I think now, in hindsight, sort of what was going on is 
I had learned early in my career just from working so hard at acting and having that pay off is that you do have to go through a certain amount of paces. Like any athlete knows, like you're not, yeah, you can have some talent or you can have a, a size or a specific build for whatever sport you're doing, but you got to work at it. Like you're not, you're not going to be Michael Jordan. Like he's famous for just practicing more than everyone. So it's like that ain't going to happen just by, you know, magic. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the mentality I had. And, and early on, um, when I was 17, when I finally did start acting, I just thought, all right, I'll just throw myself into this. And then when I dropped out of UCLA, I was a literature major at UCLA. I dropped out. My parents were like, we're not going to support you anymore. I, I, I've talked about this before, but I went and worked at McDonald's. But one of the things that that did that was great was it, it showed me to myself how seriously I was taking this. It was like, mm-hmm. all right, here you are, dude, 9 to 2 a.m. doing the drive through at McDonald's. Why are you doing this? Because you want to be an actor, so you better work. Yeah. And so it was like all day, every day that I wasn't at McDonald's, I was just working on my acting. And then two years later, I was on this great show, Freaks and Geeks. And so it was sort of like, oh, yeah, the formula works. Mm-hmm. And why stop? Keep mm-hmm. going. You can only get better. And so that is sort of how I learned the acting thing. And then when I realized, oh, I wanted to do other things like direct, I kind of applied that same that same idea. And um, it was crazy. You know, it was crazy. I probably did too much or like maybe one McCarthy or Faulkner adaptation <laughs> would have been enough that maybe that should have satisfied me, but yeah. I had to do more. But But here's what I'll say about all of that. Just whatever the you know results are of those those movies or however many people saw them or didn't see them, I think a lot of that work did prepare me to do the two things that are coming out this year that I'm really proud of as both an actor and director, the Deuce and the Disaster Artist. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have been able to direct on you know an HBO David Simon show twice and play twins on it if I didn't if I hadn't had all that experience backlog mm-hmm. and I couldn't have made the disaster artist both act as an actor and director if I didn't have that experience the key but the key ingredients sorry I'll wrap up this long answer <laughs> the key ingredients in those two projects are also the producers that I I knew that I'd been going and on my own and making these things, you know, pretty much without, you know, um, any producer that with more experience than I had. And so I, I kind of had uh, free reign on these little indies that I was doing. Yeah. And so by signing on with David Simon, I was sort of saying to myself, okay, you're making yourself accountable to someone who is better than you, who knows how to do this better than you, and hopefully that will uh, improve your game, and it certainly did. And the same thing with Seth, you know, Rogan on The Disaster Artist. When I got the, when I found the book, the first person I gave it to was, or the people I gave it to were Seth Rogan and Evan Goldberg and, and their producing partner, James Weaver. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you guys, look, this thing, this is what I thought. I was like, this story is 
weird enough to appeal to my sensibilities, but I also see the potential underneath that it um, uh, has enough of a uh, sort of human story that it's, it's a big enough story. So it's relatable enough that this has potential to reach a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. And you guys know how to do that. You guys know how to work with studios uh, and still make the movies that you want to make. And so that was that was what I did that maybe maybe Tommy didn't <laughs> do. You know, I turn I said, you guys David Simon, George Pelicanos, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, James Weaver, you guys have more experience mm -hmm. than I do. Help me help me do this. Yeah. And and it's no surprise that these are the best two projects that I've ever done. Yeah. Well, all of that also just gets back to the point you were making earlier about Tommy and just, uh, you know, he didn't have that opportunity to kind of fall and then reassess. And so yes. you kind of allowed yourself a lot of opportunities to succeed or not. And, yes. and here we yes. are. Yes. So. And I did learn along the way. You're right. I did. And that was the, in that, and, and I like to think that I learned twofold uh, or in two ways on doing the disaster artist. A, just, exactly what I was just talking about, that I had people to sort of guide me and keep me on, on the track mm -hmm. and really just teach me how to be um, an adult director. Mm -hmm. Like I, I sort of was still working like a film student where it was like, okay, we're going to scramble to get this thing made and it's and the only way to do it is just to just scramble and do it for, you know, no money and, and, and really just, you know, um, everybody's sort of fulfilling more than one role and, it, you know, just a real scramble. And I was doing that still like seven or eight years after mm -hmm. graduating from, from film school. Um, Seth, uh, you know, had, and Evan and James Weaver had learned how to be quote unquote professionals and work within the studio system and and go at it in a more systematic way and 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 really check yourself each step of the way and be sure that and put a lot of work in in the preparation and all that like these are all things that I didn't really know how to do and they kind of kept me in line yeah the other way I learned is by playing Tommy <laughs> and seeing the similarities of you know being so willful and sort of blind and deaf to, uh, you know, good advice mm -hmm. in my own way, you know, but um, essentially kind of in a, in a Tommy Wiseau kind of fashion. Yeah, totally. It's interesting that it's that and it's not like necessarily a fear that, you know, do it while you can. I know you mentioned, you know, you, you get this is one life and everything, but, you know, you I've I ask this of people who are often prolific and that tends to be an answer is oh I, while I can do it I feel like I need to do it I know you know I know that was definitely yeah my mantra almost but um then I got to a point where it was like I just somebody just sent me a quote because they know that I've sort of changed mm -hmm. and it was from Edgar Allan Poe and it was something like um read a lot write a lot publish little mm -hmm. and it's sort of like now it's sort of going from like um, having great breadth to going for a deeper kind of approach. Yeah. And um, and then part of it too is everything that I was talking about before too, this fear of failure, fear of rejection, where 
if I could do, if I was doing many, many things and I put something out and it wasn't received well, I could sort of avoid the pain of that because I was already on to the next thing or two things later, you know, sure, where yeah. it was like, oh, you didn't like that? I'm already on. I'm already, I've already moved on. Yeah. And, and so what happens there is I, I maybe avoid the pain, even though I'm sort of backlogging it. Uh, I'm just sort of hiding from it or running from it. But also, I'm not getting the benefit or the great sort of satisfactory feeling of putting my whole heart into something um, because I'm spread too thin. Mm -hmm. And so if I do – so now if I do fewer things, consequently, um, I want to be sure that they're really good – and I really care about them. They're projects that I really care about. And then I'm going to, you know, then I won't feel um, bad about giving it my full time uh, amount of, you know, and, and focus. Yeah. Like, um, so that's the that's sort of the new approach. Got it. You mentioned this. Is, I'll, I'll end here. I just wanted to talk briefly about Buster Scruggs, which you mentioned. Yeah. What was that like working with the Coens on this uh, anthology Western for Netflix? It was Awesome in so many ways. They're they're like my favorites um, <laughs> and have been for a very long time. They have, you know, the kind of a aura about them or they kind of have this mystique. I don't know if you've ever interviewed them, but um, – and they might be weird also in this situation because, I mean, Joel just straight up told me like first day on set, he's like, yeah, I hate I hate doing it. <laughs> he's like he's – like, they don't like to talk about the work. They don't because it's it's so intuitive to them to try to like. This mm-hmm. is just what I've picked up. It, they just don't like to put words to it a lot. You know, I can see that. He also he's like, yeah, my wife Fran, like, she just doesn't do it, and she yeah. and, he, and he was like, if you if you think you're just not good at something, like why just why put the effort into it? <laughs> I guess is their motto. Um, and I think you're completely right. They just. They've been doing it since they were kids, and they've been doing it together since they were kids. And mm-hmm. so it's just sort of like, um, like breathing to them, or you know, yeah. it's just natural, so natural to them. And to break it down, maybe just it doesn't interest them that much. They'd rather just make something. What's your but, favorite Cohen's movie? <sighs> there's so many. Miller's Crossing, uh, um, Big Lebowski. Uh, I kind of thought a serious man was their best one. Serious man is like the it's like they're eight and a half. It's totally. like no autobiographical. <laughs> so true, it's like yeah. the perfect movie to do after you win the Oscar. It's like exactly. the, it's the win the Oscar movie, and that's where you, <laughs> you get to do that one. Um so well done. It wasn't, you know, I know a lot of people have, t- I think David Simon even talked about like that being like, wow, that <laughs> it just nailed my childhood. Um, I am technically Jewish, but I, and I went to many bar mitzvahs when I was young, but I never had one of my own until recently. Like Seth Rogen gave me one for um, his Alzheimer's uh, charity benefit. Oh, wow. Um, and, and then I, I insisted that it actually be a real one. So I, I actually was bar mitzvahed by a rabbi and, and, and I read from the, from the Torah and all that. 
Um, is, there, but, is, there, is there video of this? Uh, there is. <laughs> okay. There is. Um, and I gave a little speech and that kind of stuff. But um, I think I think I said I think in my speech my my I I kind of used the Wizard of Oz analogy of like mm. something like wanting growing up and and having gone to all those bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and and feeling like a little bit a part of and then getting older and feeling like man I feel like I'm not in the tribe and <laughs> and um and it was a bit like the scarecrow who goes to the wizard of oz he's like I wanted a brain he's like you always had it and then one of them like I want a heart you always had it. and the relying one courage he's like you always had it like it was a little bit like that was my speech and it was like I realized that I was always part of the brotherhood and I always had it and that kind of thing. <laughs> so that's my bar mitzvah speech. Uh, and, um, but um, no, what I loved about the Coens is I just sat, I mean, I just sat, I only worked two weeks. I just sat every day um, and watched. And even if I wasn't in the scenes, I just watched. And I remember doing that as a young actor with, um, with De Niro too, and just sitting there and just watching and just, you know, they do all the things that um, every director does. They've got a camera. They do their setups. They've got their shot list. They, you know, but there's something beautiful about the way that they work together. And they're not necessarily, because I had actually just worked with um, these twin directors, actual twins on this movie called Kin that's coming out, I think, next year. And um, they were sort of like the same person. Like <laughs> I would have a conversation with one about uh, he'd give me a note or something, and I'd be like, okay. And then the other one would come over and just pick up, like you know, the conversation, and you know, where the other That's one. That's crazy. And it was just, yeah, really weird. I didn't even bother learning. Their Study names. that for multiple man. Exactly. I didn't even. <laughs> well, I played twins in the the Deuce, in but the they're deuce, but yeah. they're but they're a little. Even though they're identical, they're a little different in personality. These guys were like, I didn't. I really, honestly, I I'm embarrassed to say, but I didn't learn. Their names because it was just like I can just talk to either one. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, uh, but the Cohen brothers have—they're a little different, even though they're very in sync. Um, there is still a little bit of a big brother, little brother thing going on, which is which is interesting. They 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 completely defer to each other, mm-hmm. but they—I think they each bring little idiosyncrasies to the to the relationship. And I really because I've been. It was so inspiring because I've been working with my brother Dave so closely on both the disaster artist, both in front of and behind the camera. He really kind of came on and almost acted like a producer towards the end of it. And, and he's he's very meticulous, you know, and he's almost <laughs> a, a perfectionist where I my tendency is to, you know, just go, 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 keep on going and go to the next thing. He wants to, he's really good at like holding me back and just saying, nope, we got to finish what's on our plate and you know, that kind of thing. And uh, and we have a production company together now. And so it was really um, inspiring to see the the Coen brothers who are just a master, or who are masters at that kind of collaboration. And that's, and it's almost, it was like, a, I, I literally said to myself, at least in my head, when I was in film school, I want to find collaborators. I want to find my Coen brother. Right, and I didn't realize. You know, it was like, dude, right under your nose, you have your own Franco brother, <laughs> and we had we share the same sensibilities. We we have never we have not had a fight in probably twenty years, really? and um, yeah, and it was like, dude, work with your brother. So 
There it is. Yeah. Aw, you guys. Yeah. Well, the movie is The Disaster Artist. Go check it out. You'll laugh your ass off. I did. James Franco, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Pat. Okay, who here can really reveal themselves to the class? Anybody? I'll go. Don't talk about me. Not to class. Not to anybody. You know, of course. Shop on time. Try not fall asleep, everybody. Am I hearing an accent? Oh, uh, no, no. What would you mean? How old are you? Oh, wow, Greg age. You're 19? Yeah. I just turned 14. Wow, happy birthday. This is my movie. And this is my life. You're not great. You and me, we are all the same. But yeah, how's, how's that? We both have this dream. That we'll be famous. Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> you have a malevolent presence. You are a perfect villain. I could see you as Dracula, Frankenstein. I'm not Frankenstein. I'm hero. I give them job, I give them salary. I'm gonna spend five million dollars on this movie, Greg. Five, are you kidding me? Five million dollars? And they are not grateful. Nobody respects my vision. Where were you born, Tommy? Greg, that's not part of the scene. Now, you want an easier question? Where does the money come from, huh? Stop, it's on camera. I know it's on camera, just like you want it. I do this whole movie for you, Greg. Take it again. Try to lose the accent. The rules to the club are fell. And the choir, let me fall with God.